The past year was good for my reading. I finished around 40 to 50 books, and there were plenty more that I started but didn't finish. Also, not finishing books is actually a good thing. Here are some of the favorites that I read this year. Number one, Why Knowledge Matters by E.D. Hirsch. I previously reviewed Hirsch's controversial 1988 bestseller, Cultural Literacy. In this 2016 book, Hirsch presents a sweeping curricular change in French schools as evidence that misguided educational theories are undermining our children's learning. Hirsch argues that schools have been seduced by three intuitively appealing but ultimately unsound ideas. One, a focus on skills over knowledge. Schools spend more time on reading comprehension skills, such as finding the main idea or close reading of texts, but the science suggests that these skills don't really exist beyond what can be taught in a few hours of practice. Being a good reader relies on having a lot of background knowledge, which is de-emphasized in skills-based curricula. Number two, a focus on the individual over the community. The skills-based focus arises because there's no definitive curriculum or canon for language arts. We've abandoned the idea that education ought to teach students a core set of commonly held knowledge to the detriment of disadvantaged students, Hirsch contends. And number three, a focus on natural development over education. The idea that education ought to be natural has its roots as far back as Rousseau, but Hirsch argues that it is a mistake that our nature is cultural, and so a failure to teach a shared culture has harmed students who don't have access to that culture in their home environment. Hirsch's remedy is domain immersion, or to put it another way, teaching knowledge about the world. What knowledge? Well, Hirsch is more open here, but he argues that all students ought to be taught whatever knowledge is expected to be known by the members of their educated society. Number two, Psych by Paul Bloom. You don't need to learn the history of physics to understand physics while learning more about Einstein's work on the photoelectric effect or Maxwell's studies on electromagnetism can be edifying, you don't need to know about them to learn the physics that these experiments proved. The underlying theory is all that's required to understand physics. Psychology just isn't like this. There's no deep undercurrent of theory that ties everything together. Instead, the picture of psychology as a discipline is more like a pointillist painting, where you can squint to see the totality only through reference to thousands of tiny dots. Despite having read a few bookshelves worth of academic psychology texts, I enjoyed Yale professor Paul Bloom's survey of the field. Because understanding psychology cannot be divorced from understanding its history, I enjoyed Bloom's bird-eye view of the field from the past to the present day. Number three, How We Reason by Philip Johnson Laird. We reason by creating mental models of the world. That may not sound surprising, but it has plenty of interesting implications for how we think. I have read Johnson Laird's original work, Mental Models, last year, and it was nice to see an in-depth follow-up on how the theory has developed in the subsequent two decades. In a future post, I'm going to have to have a full summary of Johnson Laird's book and what the theory implies. Number four, Creativity in Science by Dean Simonton. Creativity is a tricky subject to study. Experimentalists tend to focus on relatively mundane acts of creativity, such as divergent thinking or alternative uses for everyday objects. But this approach is far removed from the great insights of artists, scientists, and inventors that we typically laud as creative. Theoreticians, in contrast, spend time creating computer simulations of creative thought, often reducing creativity to mechanical problem solving. Psychologist Dean Simonton's work in this field is unusual due to his largely historical focus on creativity. Instead of gathering data from experiments or simulations, he has studied data sets drawn from the works and biographies of creative individuals. This book of his surveys theories of creativity contrasting four competing explanations, expertise, genius, society, and chance, in offering a model for how creativity works. Simonton's work provides a nice hybrid between the purely anecdotal work of biographers and the data-driven work of experimental scientists. Number five, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy by Judith Beck. 
Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, CBT, is considered the gold standard for psychological therapy. I recently reviewed Beck's book, which is written as a practical guide for therapists implementing CBT. While CBT is undoubtedly effective, it's unclear what the active ingredient actually is. The classic theory focuses on the cognitive, or C, part, namely that depressed, anxious people suffer from distorted beliefs and these cognitive failures tend to form self-sustaining patterns. However, some critics argue that these flawed beliefs may be caused by overactive emotional circuitry that operate outside of consciousness. Pure exposure therapy, for instance, tends to do roughly as well as exposure plus cognitive therapy for anxiety disorders. If this is true, then it may be the B, or behavior change component, that is more directly responsible for patient results. Number six, how languages are learned, by Patsy Lightbound and Nina Spada. Reading summaries of domain-specific research is part of my goal to deepen my understanding of the science of learning. While plenty of books offer theories of learning in general, it helps to gird those takeaways with more detailed work from different fields. To that end, I read quite a few different books from the field of second language acquisition over the summer, and even wrote a review of how languages are learned. Language learning occupies an unusual place in learning theory. People learn their native languages with few failures and little instruction. Yet most people struggle to learn foreign languages in school, and many immigrant adults fail to learn the language of their adoptive country. General purpose learning theories, like cognitive load theory, tend to draw a sharp distinction between skills we innately acquire and those that require schooling. So where do second languages fit into that scheme? On the one hand, SLA research is fascinating and contains many unexpected findings, but on the other hand, SLA seems even less amenable to clear scientific consensus about what works than mathematics or reading, which are themselves beset by eternal controversies. Still, as someone who has spent years learning languages, it was fascinating to dive deeper into how it works. Number seven, The Science of Learning Physics, by Jose Maestre and Jennifer Doctor. Along with languages, physics is another subject where many students conspicuously fail. Teaching students to think like physicists is a fiendishly difficult goal. Even students who ace exams often revert to folk theories when presented with real-life problems. Maestre and Doctor tackle this challenge by reviewing the large body of literature on learning physics. Now, I plan on writing a full review of this book a little later, which I found to be a very helpful summary. Number eight, The Republic by Plato. My interests are mainly contemporary, so I haven't spent a lot of time reading the classics. I'd usually rather read from a psychology textbook from the 21st century than try to parse out the probably wrong theories of philosophers who didn't have access to experimental science. But recently, I've been reconsidering this viewpoint. Objectively speaking, the classics are not as likely to be the best source of information on any particular topic, but their longevity has embedded them into the background culture of all subsequent discussions. So to my surprise, I really enjoyed The Republic. It's both well-written and super weird, which puts it above many other famous philosophical books that are too obscure to be easily read. Number nine, Social Learning Theory by Albert Bandura. Social learning theory is a difficult book to summarize, but it has profoundly impacted my thinking. Self-efficacy, which I've reviewed in depth before, is just one of those big ideas. Another big idea is the importance of learning from others. Behaviorists tended to view all actions as resulting from the reward-punishment contingencies associated with taking action. Bandura helped shape the now prevailing view in which reward contingencies shape motivation, but not learning beyond deciding what to pay attention to. In this view, motivation shapes which activities people choose to do, but knowledge, mostly gained from other people, shapes what our effective choices are. 
Number 10, Beginning to Read by Marilyn Yeager Adams. Phonics is a hot topic these days, with prominent coverage in the New York Times and elsewhere. The push to follow the science of reading has attracted attention beyond the usual interest in niche educational topics. There is an accumulation of evidence that systematic phonics instruction, where kids are taught and drilled on the sound spelling correspondences in print, is superior to whole language or balanced methods. This evidence has often been ignored, but now there is a stronger push towards phonics in schools. Given the topic's newsworthiness, you'd expect the science of reading to be relatively new, but this controversy has actually been settled for decades. Jean Chal's influential summary, Learning to Read, The Great Debate, was published in 1967. Marilyn Yeager Adams' extensive review of the literature concluded essentially the same thing in 1994. In some ways, reading about the debate has made me more pessimistic about science-driven solutions to many areas of life. If experts can collect clear evidence that a particular approach is more effective, but that evidence is essentially ignored in practice for decades, it makes me less hopeful about other social reforms where the data points one way, but intuitions point the other. So those were the 10 best books that I read in 2023. What were the best books that you read? Share your thoughts in the comments. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you'd like to get five of my audiobooks for free, just go to scotthyoung.com slash podcast. 